All right, we are in Exodus 20 today. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we read this chapter last week. We read Exodus 19 and 20. And I spoke specifically about the, the opportunity that the people had to come into his presence and then the, the legitimate concern that they had that people who come before the Lord with their sins will die and how, but we're given this opportunity day by day to press deeper to actually know the Lord. And so that was what we spoke about last week. But this week, as we look at Exodus 20, I'm calling the message that it may be well with you. Uh, and we'll be reading, first I'm going to read the, the giving of the Ten Commandments here. So chap, uh, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And then um, we'll go from there and discuss the impact and the history of these commandments with these people So Exodus 20, verse 1 says, God spoke all these things, all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so... Different people look at the commandments in different ways, but one way of looking at it is to say that we've just read the commandments that directly are the the vertical ones that have to do with how we interact with God and how we respond to God, and that we're now coming to the ones that are horizontal, the way we interact with people. Um, I think it might be more nuanced than that, but that is a simple way of, of looking at just how the commands fall. So verse 12, Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So this is what God spoke in the cloud. And verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And so there are several pieces to this account here that I want us to, to think about today. First of all, we are not very far out of Egypt at this point, but the, and we're getting the Ten Commandments. God is speaking to his people. But when you read what happens in the rest of Exodus, which is what we're going to do, 
he's not immediately intending to go from here into the promised land. He actually has them out for about a year and is going to have them actually build the tabernacle, actually learn his laws for all the different pieces, have the priesthood established, uh, and actually celebrate Passover before he brings them into the promised land. So this goes back to an earlier message where we talked about how when God saves us from something, he is also saving us for something or to something. He's not just bringing us out and putting us in a void. But there needs to be preparation. There is something, just because I was saved yesterday doesn't mean that I'm ready tomorrow to actually walk in sanctification and in the gifts and the callings and everything that God has for me. He has a promise for me and he's preparing me for that. And so I'm gonna grow into that. And so what has happened in a, in a very real sense in the, with the church in America is we have, many of us have been saved out of Egypt and so now we've progressed at some point and then we stop and we build churches. So we've, we've built like the, the equivalent to the church of the Red Sea crossing. We have the church of the first Passover, just barely outside of Egypt. We have the church of you know, the, the, the rock where the water came out of it. We have the church of Mount Sinai with the 10 commandments. And every so often we have someone who stops and assumes that the point that we've made to this thus far, that we've arrived and this is it but there is actually still a promised land coming. There is still something that God is wanting to do that is bigger than each of these individual events. And so then you'll have someone who comes and makes it all the way past Mount Sinai and they're at Sinai and they're building the tabernacle and they're doing all of that. And, and so they have the church of the tabernacle, the church of the offerings, the church of, of the, 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 the law that Moses is, is handing down to them. And we will stop short of exactly how far we need to do purely because we will look at where we are and look where someone else is and say, well, we've come farther than they have. We've come farther than what they have come, and so I've made it this thus far. And so we'll stop and assume that if everyone else, if we could just get everyone else to where we are, we would all have arrived and be there together. And yet there is still the promised land. There is still Canaan. There is still the crossing of the Jordan that's still ahead. And the process that God is taking them through is quite a process. In fact, it is such a stringent process that from those who leave and are saved out of Egypt of the adult males, there are two of the 613,000 men that are there, there are two that are going to make it into the promised land. And this serves as a warning for us to say, where am I? Like, yes, God has saved me, but am I where he wants me to be? Do I actually believe that not only can he save me from sin, but that he can save me for himself, for his kingdom, for what he has for me? And this is different than saying, what are the gifts, you know, physical or the gifts of comfort that God might give us? This is saying there is work to be done. There is a king to be known. There is a God to be walked with. And his word and his spirit is meant to dwell within me and to flow through me. And he wants to do something. God wants to do something. And so that is where we don't want to get stuck halfway through. But each of these pieces is necessary because the children of Israel were thinking like slaves in Egypt for the last couple hundred years. 
They had gotten into the mindset where they thought like slaves. They acted like slaves. There was a victim mentality. They didn't think of themselves as being able to hear from God and do the things that God wants them to do. They had to have someone come and rescue them. You and I can be in that same place. We can be in a victim mentality. We can be stuck thinking that nothing's gonna change here until so-and-so does something or until that person does this or until this person apologizes or until that person gives me what I need. We can get stuck in that mentality and our entire experience can be so directed toward a person or an entity that we think should be providing for us that we miss the fact that God himself wants to speak to us and God himself wants to lead us and God himself wants to walk with us to something. And so we have the children of Israel going, wow, we heard the voice of God and we're still alive and that's pretty unusual. And they're right, that is unusual. We'll, we'll read more about what they have to say. But there is, there is still more ahead of them. They're like, you know what? We're actually quite satisfied, Moses, if you would go and speak to God and we will, you will come and tell us what he has to say. Now later we see that God actually agrees and says that's good. But, at the, but on another level, could, would God have been pleased had they said we wanna hear from you always? It's just a question. Because I think in our day and age, with the Spirit of God within us, when, the, when, when His Word is near us, even in our hearts, God wants each of us to hear Him. He doesn't want us purely to depend on someone else to tell us what God said. He wants us to seek His face, to know Him. And so there's this moment here that's like an invitation, and that's what we talked about last week, the invitation that was at Sinai. But we're still, and, and, and so it is a good invitation, and it is a good something for us to meditate on. And I want us to not just get stuck on looking at all the commandments and trying to decide, is, is that 10, is that 11, is it nine? Uh, but to actually look at the commands and to understand something else that's happening. Whenever God speaks to mankind, he is never just giving a list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. He is always giving an invitation to man. When God speaks to man, he is inviting mankind to walk with him, to know him. And so even this is an invitation. But here's what's gonna happen here at Sinai before the children enter, well actually before the children of Israel refuse to enter. We, over in Numbers 13 and 14, we have this moment where they refuse to enter because of the giants in the land after they spied it out. And when you look at what's happening there, that's, I think they, they just had Passover. They were just reminded of what God had done the prior year. And then they refused to enter. And so there's a lot happening. But before we get there, there's the, like we just had the Ten Commandments. We had the tabernacle built. The priests are assigned. The Ark of the Covenant is in place. And all of this is spoken. And now they have a way to move through the land. And they're prepared. And they're set up. And they go. And they refuse to enter. So... God intended for them to learn his laws first, to understand the offerings and the feasts and the Sabbaths before entering the promised land. Because as soon as they would have entered the promised land, they're gonna be so busy with all the things that have to happen there that they would have scattered and forgotten that they were a people and that they had a God who had put his name on them and that they were going to do things his way. And so first he wanted them to learn this. And so this, this year that they spend is important. 
But then there's this. It's in Deuteronomy chapter one, in the first couple of verses. Do you have that one, Holly? I'll just read it from there it is. Deuteronomy 1, verse 2, it says, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And then the next verse. Sorry, that was the one I didn't write down clearly. It's just that, so that verse right there, I just want the first phrase of that verse. It says, Now it came to pass in the 40th year. There's an 11 days journey, and in the 40th year of that journey, and that to me sounds like a failure, like a depressing situation. And actually this week, Stacey and I have been talking a little bit about how, um, so there's this, this mindset that each, each of us has different ways of looking at stuff, but Stacy will do something that is 70% successful and consider it a roaring success. I will do something that's 95% successful and think that I've failed um, just because of how we look at life and how we, there's different things in our life. And so I'll be like, man, I'm such a failure. And like, she will never say, I, she will never say about herself that she is a failure. But I will say that quickly, like at my mind goes there where I've failed. I'm not even saying it failed. Most of the time, I'm not even saying we failed. I'm saying I failed. I, I go there very quickly. And so there is a performance-based thing that can get into our lives where we could say, oh man, this is a failure. But even in that, I think I can be missing what the heart of God is. And, and part of it is this. God has something for each of us. He has a journey he wants to take us on. He's calling each of us to himself to follow him, to walk with him. And as we are walking with him, he's asking us to know him, to trust him, and to do his things. If I'm doing his things in the way that he told me to do them, then my success or my failure depends on whether I listen to him or not. And so what we're going to see is that for those who entered the promised land, it, they didn't fail in the wilderness in the same way that those who did not. Because God literally had the ones who failed not ever enter the promised land. But the ones who were young, and, but they were willing, they, they, whatever test came their way, they actually allowed and, and they actually believed and followed God with this. And so this is, this is something to think about when you look at someone else's journey, is to say, are they being obedient to what God has asked of them? Because sometimes the answer is yes, but what God has asked of them is so completely different from what God has asked of me that if I were to compare my mission with their mission, and I would think they were supposed to be doing what I'm doing, I would call them a failure. I would say they, they're definitely not succeeding. And this happens to us. We do this kind of thing where we assume that someone else is supposed to be doing our journey. And so this is just a warning that's out there, but it also means that just because you are successfully doing what other people have done before you doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually successful. You need to hear from the Lord what you're supposed to be doing. And when I say doing, I mean the whole bit. I mean being, resting, 
walk, you know, walking in the spirit. I don't mean that you, there's just a to-do list from heaven that we're all out there trying to get down the to-do list. I, I mean, it's more than that. It's knowing him. It's hearing his voice. It's walking with him. When we have something, a command given that we can be obedient in it, that's, it's all together in this. And so, yes, it's 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And I think we have several other verses where it talks about where they were and if they went this way, how fast it would go and all this other stuff. But it just simply, I just love that there's an 11 days journey and then 40 years later, we're actually now here. And so 40 years later, in Deuteronomy chapter five, Moses reviews what happened in Exodus 20. And I wanted us to read that because there is a time, uh, there is something that has, I feel like there's a richness that's added in Deuteronomy 5 when Moses is recounting what happened. And he's saying how they defeated the king of Og, the, the Og king of Bashan and the Amorites, and he's talking about this. And then he, in, verse, in Deuteronomy 5, verse, excuse me, in verse 5, Moses called, no, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. This is a fascinating thing. He says, not, not with our fathers. Now, this is very poignant because there were, some of their fathers were present at the time of the covenant. But he says, God made a covenant with us, but not with our fathers. So you can either say, oh, th this is a different covenant than what he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or you can take the 613,000 and say, God didn't make it specifically with them. Why not? Why did he not make that covenant with them? For a simple reason, they did not believe, and therefore they did not enter into the rest. That's what Hebrews tells us. So who did he make the covenant with? The ones who believed, the ones who responded, the ones who obeyed. And so, he says, he didn't make it with our fathers, but with us. Verse three, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. Verse four, the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. And this is fascinating because who did he speak to? He actually spoke to the 613,000 men who were already old enough and they have not yet rebelled. And so this is a fascinating time frame here. They're not going in. So God is working with what, what he has here. And Moses is saying, it's the, to you who were there and you believe the words of God, that's what you got. All right, the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. Verse five, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. And so he's reminding them that after God had spoken with them, I stood between them. And we saw that in Exodus too. But now he reiterates and says, here's what the Lord said. Verse six, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice and he added no more and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So we're looking back 40 years and so what I found interesting in reading through the verses is very close to word for word but in the honor of your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that command in verse 16 in Exodus 20 it just says that your days may be long. Here he adds that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And so if we keep reading, um, and let's just do that, let's keep reading, but there is something that happens where we start seeing this phrase that it may be well with you. So first of all, in verse 23, I just want to read this part of it because the people are afraid of God's presence and God's response to, to that. Verse 23, verse 1, it says, or Verse 23, so it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. This is actually an important revelation for them to understand who God is. They have seen God, and God spoke to them and yet they are alive. They are still alive. They didn't die when God spoke to them. That's an important bit. And so they're remembering this 40 years on going, God spoke to us and we were still alive. Verse 25, now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Then he adds this, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And then they got sent back to the tent. So Moses is remembering what happened 40 years on. So there's several things here. They saw the plagues in Israel. They saw the dividing of the Red Sea. They saw the water from the rock. They saw the manna. But there was something that happened when they heard the voice of the Lord. When they heard God speaking from the mountain, that was somehow different. And so I don't know exactly what caused many of them to believe and how when they came up to that question of are we going to go into the, into the promised land, so many were like, no, we're not going. 
There's a lot we could talk about with that. But there is something here in that as they're remembering, Moses is saying, God did a lot for us. But when you heard the voice of God, then you believed. And this is important to think about because these are the people, the ones that we're talking to here in Deuteronomy 5, these are the ones that are going to gird on their swords and follow Joshua into the promised land and actually fight the battles. They're the, these, this is now the generation of those that are going in and are going to do this. And they're being reminded before this happens. And so it continues um, through this in verse, um, verse 33, the end of, the, of chapter Deuteronomy 5, verse 33, Moses is speaking, he says, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And so he says, in, so then we go to, verse, uh, to chapter 6, and in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, he's now going into what we call the greatest commandment, what, what, the, what, uh, what Jesus himself quoted this. And so in verse 3, to Deuteronomy 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is the, the Shema, the hear and obey. This is something that all the Jews memorized. And so what happens is, in chapter 6, we have one more time where it says that it may be well with you. And then down in verse 24, it says, The Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So there is something that has happened in the 40 years. When we first heard the voice of God in the wilderness and God spoke the Ten Commandments, it is very much something of a thou shalt and thou shalt not. Don't do this, but do this. But in 40 years later, there is something that's here in the way Moses is talking about it and the way the children of Israel are responding to it. But there is a, a constant thought and a response saying that it may be well with us. God gave us this word that it may be well with us. God gave us his law that it may be well with us. And so when you first hear the word of God and you're not allowed to do this and you shouldn't do that and this, and you hear those kinds of things, that's how you think of God. You see God as he's, he's up there and he's watching you. And, in, and you know, sometimes it's more of a, we see God as a no more happiness kind of God. He doesn't want, you know, he's looking to say, are you having fun? Okay, stop it, depending on your image of God. And in this last this last year and a half, we've been interviewing a lot of people that were growing up Amish, and one of the questions I asked them is, when you were a child, what was your picture, what was your image of God? How did you see God? And this is very telling because it shows us how did their parents model belief in God? How was, and, and so for some people, the question of how did you see God, you know, for some people it's like, well, he, was, he kind of ignored me unless I misbehaved, and then he came in with a stick. 
and was going to discipline me. And so I started asking more people, you know, what is your image of God? And so, you know, um, I asked Katie, Stacy's sister, Katie, like, how did, how did you see God when you were a little kid? And she said, well, I saw him that he wanted to dance with me. He wanted me to come and twirl me and dance with me. And so we talked for a little bit, and I said, well, how has it changed? She said, not really. <laughs> and like for her, starting from a very little child, she saw a God who was inviting her to do something with him, to interact with him. And so if you think about these, the children of Israel, and if you think of those who had grown up in the slavery of Egypt and who were hardened in that, and then they're being told, you've got to come and see what this God is asking of you in the wilderness, they're like, wow, this is heavy. Why do we have to do this? But then there are their children in the midst who are going through the Red Sea, and they're hearing the voice of the Lord, and they're hearing all of this, and for some of them, it has changed over into God is inviting me to do something, and God wants it to be well with me. And he's given us his word that it may be well with us. And this is a shift in the way you think. And so if you look at, you know, earlier I spoke about the Ten Commandments, and I said, well, um, you have the first however many commands that is that seem to be having to do with God, and the second half has to do with people, and that may be true, but there's also a reality in which every one of these commands is God giving us an opportunity and a gift because he wants to bless us, and he's saying, I want it to be well with you. And so I'm showing you a secret. And so for instance, you know, uh, I think one of the easiest ones for us to look at is, is Paul in Ephesians 6, where it says, uh, children, honor your parents, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes, honor your father and your mother. That's right from the commands here. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He's actually quoting from here in Deuteronomy chapter five. And so he says this is the first commandment with promise. And so my thought as I was thinking about this, here, here are some of these, here are some of my thoughts on this. Um, in the honor your father commands, there is a problem that we run into in that many of us have been hurt by our fathers. And so right now, it's a big deal uh, to be able to honestly say how your dad has hurt you, talk about your father wound and all of this other stuff. And so it's part of the deconstructing of Christianity and evangelicalism where people are lauded for being able to identify how they've been hurt by their parents. And there is some value in that, but the thing that we don't wanna forget is that when God said, honor your father and your mother, he didn't say, so that they will give you gifts and leave an inheritance to you and be kind to you. He said that it may be well with you and you may live long in the earth. Who is in charge of that? It's God. So the source of the blessing for the honor of your father and mother has never been the parents. The, whole, the point was never that you should honor your parents and then they and their infinite wisdom and wealth and riches are going to take care of you. That was not the promise. The promise was you honor them and I, God, will bless you. And this is actually, while it might be the first one that we understand and see it as a promise and can see it that way, really all of the word of God and all of his dealings with us are the same. He's saying, I'm giving you something 
And it, this seems to be, like when it says, you know, don't murder someone, don't commit adultery. Well, if you think about adultery, you think about the people you hurt, the people you take advantage of, and you think about everything that falls apart with that. And the point is not that God is just saying, I don't want that to happen. The point is saying, you yourself can better receive me, God, if you will abstain from these things. And so in each of these scenarios, Yes, God is recognizing that you can be deeply hurt if someone else does not keep the command or you might deeply hurt someone and then there is, there is a need for forgiveness and reconciliation and he gets it. He understands that struggle but there is something bigger and deeper that's going on where he's saying, I want you, I want it to be well with you. I want it to be well with you and so I myself, God himself, is the promise behind all of these commands so with honor your parents, it's fairly easy to see that God is the source. And so what, I, what I've noticed and what I've determined, um, one of the biggest sources of blessings in my life has been when I was a youngster, a teenager, I, not only was I blessed with my father, but I was also hurt by things he did. But in talking with other believers, I was encouraged to find ways to honor him for the things that he had done well and to forgive him for the things he had not done well. And to not wait until he asked me to forgive him, but to just go ahead and do that and get it out of the way now and honor him to the extent that I could. And in the, I just remember in the process of talking about that, I heard one lady share her testimony and she said she thought for a long time, she remembered every single interaction with, your da- with her dad. And she finally came up with the fact that there was a time when she was driving when she was young and her dad was like, you've got to stop at stop signs. And that was the only good thing she could learn. She could remember that she had learned from her dad. And so she decided to honor him for that. Like, and he was already dead by this time. But she was like, Lord, thank you for giving me a father. And so she, if you think about it, that is some really spare picking. There's nothing much there if that's all you got is your dad told you to stop at stop signs. But... I had a lot more to go from. And so I chose to honor my father. I wanted to honor him. And so even if there were things that we disagreed on, even if there were things that we hurt each other on, I wanted to honor him as much as I could. And in the process of doing that and in meeting other people and hearing other testimonies, here's something I've learned, is that there is a blessing that God has for each of us that is contingent upon the amount of honor we have in our life. And I don't know how, why he does this, but this is one of the way God works with us, is there are certain blessings that are contingent on certain things in our life. And honor is a big deal. And so you'll see some cultures where they, there is a lot of honor and it happens, the generational gap is less noticeable there. The fallout of each generation is less noticeable when there is true honor. Right now in America, we have a pandemic of people saying, well, my mom did this and my dad did that. And who's listening to the person who's saying that? The next generation. And so they're hearing their dad, their their mom and their dad dishonoring their parents. And that's what they're being modeled. And then the parents themselves think they're doing all the things right and different from what, so that their child has a better experience. Then they are shocked when their child grows up and says, well, my mom did this, and my dad did that, and they were like, what? I, I, did, I made all these changes. It wasn't actually about the changes. 
It was about honor. It was about love. There was, there was something else that was more important. And so one of the ways to break the sins that are, when, when it says, you know, showing mercy to thousands of them that love him, it's not that this is a God going, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really carry the sins of the fathers down to the next generation. It's that you will carry your sins to the next generation. It's an observation. It's saying, if you disobey God, if you don't understand his principles, and you walk in these things, they're going to watch you do that, and they're going to do the same thing. But if you actually listen to the words of God and apply them to your life, and you are living in humility and the fear of the Lord, and you're loving your kids, and you're doing the best you can, and you're honoring your parents, even if they've gone on before already, if, as you're honoring those, and not just your parents, but you're honoring other people, and you're honoring as much as possible, and you're learning how to live in honor, that then makes your children to look at that and say, wow, that's awesome, and it just replicates itself. And it literally shows mercy to thousands, and it can change an entire culture. In America right now, if we don't, if we don't find a way to learn how to honor, there's going to be so much more pain again in another generation coming up. And it's because we're falling apart. And so as this generation is pointing their hands at their parents going, look at all they've done wrong. And sometimes they're literally saying, look, they were trying to please God, so they pulled me out of school and they did this and, and they're really angry and upset with their parents for the things their parents did trying to honor God, whatever that is. Never thinking about the fact that they are right now doing something with the next generation. And so this principle of honor is huge. And what I re remember in my own life, I was probably 17 when it first started sinking in and then about the time I was 21 or 22, it really began to come home. And it was this, Here's my parents, and I'm being asked to honor them. And there's a lot that I can honor them for. There's a few things that I really wish would have been different. But there's a lot that I can honor them for, and so I'm going to honor them for these things. And I was wanting to hold them accountable and responsible and say, well, if I honor you, you better produce. But that was not the point at all. The point was, here's God, and he wants to give something to me, and for whatever reason, he chose them as a channel and so I honor them, and suddenly he starts blessing them. But he doesn't actually have to bless, them, bless me through them. He blesses me directly. And I began to understand that there is something in the kingdom where, uh, and, and, and where the things that we do to people actually impact our relationship with God. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. And so there's something here that somehow God set it up that our relationships with other people are part and parcel with our relationship with God. And it's the weirdest thing when you stop and think about it because I'm, I'm all for like, hey, you, read the Bible, know what God says, respond to God. Don't wait for other people. You can do this yourself. You don't have to have the right preacher or the right priest or the right teaching or the right parents or the right background. No, you can read the Bible. You can find Jesus. You can serve him. You can say, if no one else follows me, uh, no one else joins me, still I will follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. You can do that. And I believe that. But at the same time, I believe that if you do decide to follow Jesus, it's going to impact every one of your relationships and how things go around you. And what will happen is as some of the relationships respond and are being blessed, suddenly the ones that are not working so well hurt more. 
And, and you will feel like, ah, what am I ever going to do with this? And sometimes you can't do anything with that one, and it is just painful. And so I, I wanted to, for us to think about this, that God himself is the promise behind all of his commands. And while we have this first command with a promise, which is honor your parents, I think it goes deeper than that. It's just, it's a culture of honor that we need and that we want to, what we want to practice. It has to do with gratefulness. It has to do, but it's understanding that God is using the path, not just of my ancestors, but the path of everything that's gone before me and those who are around me. He's using them to guide and provide and direct for me. And if I can honor that to the degree that I can, because there's many, many times when you can't say, well, I 100% approve of someone else. Like, that's almost never works. Like, you don't agree with anyone else 100%. You haven't been blessed 100% by, by, every, by someone. Like, you have been blessed by people, and then they say something, you're like, ah, whatever. And so this happens a lot. Like, you, you, you know, and then, so, like, I remember getting married, you think, ah, finally, someone that I can 100% agree with, oh, yeah. And, but what I discovered was that to the extent that I just determined to live with my wife with understanding, that there was a blessing in that for me, and somehow in that relationship it became so clear to me that if I love Stacy, it's like me putting love for the Heavenly Father into an earthly deposit box, and he counts it as loving him. Because I have made my vows to her, or my vows to God about her, and my vows to her, and in before God, if I love her, he says, yeah, you're being obedient to me. You're doing the right thing. And he counts it and he blesses me. And he's not saying Stacy is my source. My wife is not my primary source of encouragement or fulfillment or meaning or fun or any of those things. She is my wife and we do a lot of things together and we can encourage one another, we can help each other, but she's an earthly being that's here also with me in the same way that each of us, you know, our relationships are different, but when we meet, like even this morning, when we meet here, it's not that I come and I give you something or you give me something or we give each other things. It's that God is giving you something through the rest. Like each of us, we're receiving from each other the gifts from God. God is choosing to bless us with each other. And it's not just that I'm giving myself so much, or you're giving yourself so much, and that's blessing other people. It's whatever of God is coming through. And he wants to bless us. He wants to encourage us. He wants it to be well with us. And so if we can figure out these relationships, I mean, it just makes sense on a practical level. If you can figure out how to love other people and live with other people, that's an easier relationship. If you are constantly at odds with someone, if you never figure out how to get along with them, that's a painful relationship. So if you want the blessing, learn how to apply the principle of honor, whatever the scripture is. And so I've chosen this one to talk about. And the more we learn about true honor, the more blessing we're open to receive from God. And so this is not even about saying that you have to obey your parents in everything, because this, this has been a huge deal like in different places I came from. Like with the Amish, like you were supposed to obey your parents, and there was no expiration. And so if your parents said, stay Amish, you better stay Amish. And if you ever left the Amish, you disobeyed your parents. Therefore, God was mad at you. And so they would quote verses like this. You're supposed to honor your parents, supposed to obey your parents. Why aren't you doing this? 
And people would say, well, because I came to Jesus, and when I responded to Christ, and just was doing the normal Christian things, you told me I can't do those anymore. You don't want me to read the Bible, you don't want me to pray with other people, and I have to do those. That's part of my Christianity. Well, well, honor your parents. That's also in the Bible. And they're missing something. And so there's many, many ways that people who have been leaving the Amish, who are being dis, not, not always disowned, but excommunicated and disfellowshipped by their parents, there's many, many ways that these people still find to honor their parents back home. And to the extent that they can do that, there is blessing for them. And there's blessing for the next generation. But if they're like, ah, forget all that. I'm just going to cut it off. I don't need that negativity in my life. They're losing a blessing because there is something to be found in honor. And so this is something to consider deeply is when God has given us a command, when God has given us something, we have to be careful how we deal with it because we can explain it away. If you ever want to see the masters at explaining things away, go to the, uh, uh, oh, what are the, the Jewish rabbis' writings? We have the Torah here and then Talmud, yes. I have it on one of my iPads. I was shocked at what the rabbis say because you can find a reason to disobey any one of these Old Testament laws or a way to get around it. There's loopholes in the Talmud for every single one of these commands. There's some rabbi somewhere who says, well, unless if there's this and there's this and if you do this and you do that. This is why Jesus came down so hard against the rabbis is they were finding a way to make the law of God of no effect, missing it entirely, not understanding that there was a, an invitation from God for everyone here, and they were missing it. And so this is, I don't want us to miss that. So as we look at these commands, as we continue on looking through Exodus at what God is doing, I want us to see the heart of God that it may be well with you. And so when we see something like the Sabbath, and God is saying, I want it to be well with you. There is something. And so we have Christ, our reward and our rest. We actually need physical space and we need physical rest. We need, we need this in our life, like the whole work-life balance and the margins in our life. All of these things we talk about. Why? Because we can clearly see that if someone is going, 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 going 24-7 and is not taking the proper rest, it usually doesn't end well. Something has to give. And so we know that you need to rest. We get that. And so when we see the Sabbath being instituted, he literally says, you were slaves once where you weren't allowed to say what you would or would not do. And I am now telling you that you need to take a day of rest. And that is part of you showing that you are my people. And so this is fascinating that God would put that in there. But I think of Moses and the children of Israel. You go from Exodus and it's, there's the Ten Commandments. And you come to Deuteronomy 5, they're listed again, and then there's follow-up and there's an understanding and an explanation that it may be well with you. The heart of God is being revealed. I want it to be well with you. And as he's giving that, in, not just an invitation, but a, a, an, an indication of who he is, he's revealing his own heart, saying, I want it to be well with you. It's as if Moses, after 40 years in the wilderness, says, I get it. God loves us so much. It's not just us telling something. He says, I want it to be well with my people. And so I think the people themselves are getting it more. And so then you go into the blessings of obedience and the, the curses of disobedience, and you see all of that. But there is something about being the chosen people of God that you have to understand that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants to love us, to know us, and he actually wants us to, to thrive. Not that he wants us 
to only suffer, but there is something even in suffering that he wants to do and develop in us because God is able to transform and redeem anything. And we were talking about the, 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 the persecuted church this morning a little bit and the fact that all around the world, people are coming to Jesus and continue to follow him. They're thrown in prison. They're t- torn away from their families. They lose their houses, their homes. They lose their livelihood. They lose, you know, in some places they lose meeting places, but in some places they never had those to start with. And yet in all of this, they are rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because God himself is the reward. It's not just houses. It's not just cars. It's not just the physical things we see. But God himself wants to be our reward. He wants us to know him and to be known of him. So one of my questions was, have we spent enough time in the wilderness to discover that God actually wants it to be well with us? because this is something that took them a little while. They come in and God is saying, do this, don't do that, do this, and they're saying, whoa, God is able to kill people at it. You know, there's all this, the plague, there's all of this stuff that happens between Exodus and here, and yet, in the end, Moses is able to say, we're, you know, if, we will, if we will obey, God is telling us that if we'll only obey, if we'll only listen to him, then it can be well with us. And that's what I want, and that's what I want us to want. And so let's pray. Father, we look at your commandments. And sometimes, especially in our day, it can be very confusing because some people on one hand are yelling that we need to be physically keeping all of the commands and the feasts and, the, and they're missing you. And then there's others who are so free that they're not even considering the commandments at all and to see what you said at all. And they are also missing something. And so, Father, for us today, I just ask that you would help each of us to seriously consider your words and to understand your heart behind what you said because you want it to be well with us. And you're inviting us to walk with you because you want it to be well with us. So, Father, I pray for each of us and ask that you'd have mercy on us. And, Lord, we want to honor you. We want to honor those around us. We want to honor our parents. And so, Father, I pray that you yourself would come and bring healing to any of those relationships that are hurting and give us clarity on how to honor when it seems difficult. And Lord, help us to fix our expectation on you, that you are the reward, that you are the rewarder, that we're not looking to a reward from humans, but we're looking to a reward from you. Thank you for your love and your provision. We submit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.